They have forgotten God. Fornication and adultery. A sickness that was not visible like smallpox, but no less dangerous and contagious. A sickness of the mind. You see, Ralph was a homosexual. For many years now, I've wanted to find some time alone with my mother and interview her about her life. I've always been very interested in her story, especially since I'm such a big character in it. And although it's a story filled with enormous sadness and pain, it is also life-affirming and powerful. How a lesbian girl from Idaho survived being a Mormon and going through their conversion therapy that they claim can cure homosexuality. And then how she escaped a horribly abusive marriage with my father. I felt that before any more time slipped away from us, it was important to hear her story. So finally, after so many crazy years, as I approach 35 and anticipate the birth of my first daughter, I decided to finally set aside a couple of days and spend some time one-on-one with my mother. So as it happened on the one-year anniversary of my father's death in the spring of 2018, Sandra Marie and I sat down for many hours over the course of two days, and she told me all about her life. Now I'm excited to share her story with you. The Story of Sandra Marie, Episode 1, Idaho Tomboy. often use the word boom to talk about the 50s. World War II had come to an end, and the economy was booming. Cars, plastic, fat-shaking machines, and suburbs were popping up like popcorn in the newly popular microwaves. And people were mating like rabbits. And so came the term baby boomers. It was also the time of the civil rights movement and the birth of rock and roll. And it was during this fast-changing time, somewhere in Idaho, that Sandra came into the world. I really had a hard time remembering my youth. I don't have very many early memories. The About the first time I really remember anything was when I was like six years old, when I had tonsillitis, and I had to go to the hospital. That was a very horrific, hor- horrible early memory. Back then, they used ether, and uh, you can only have so much ether in a 24-hour period before it's dangerous. And so I went into the surgery, and, you know, they tell you, oh, you get to eat all the ice cream you want. And so I was excited that after the surgery, I could eat ice cream. And I woke up in the recovery room and saw this strange nurse and freaked out and started screaming for my mother. And I broke the sutures on the sides of my throat where they took the tonsils out and started to hemorrhage. And I had really, really long hair then, and my hair was just full of blood, and they couldn't make me stop screaming. So they wheeled me down to where my mother was waiting, and so that she could calm me down. And she saw me, and she calmed me down, and I felt I stopped crying. And she was strong enough to stay present at the moment, but as soon as the next chapter started, she passed out. 
they couldn't stop the bleeding. And so they said, we're going to have to take her into one of the rooms and I'm gonna, he's going to carterize where, where it was bleeding from. But they couldn't give me any ether, so they had to do all this without any painkillers. And so they took me into the room and they were the old iron railed beds. And my dad held my hands through the rail. They put my hands above my head in through the rails and he held my hands there and a nurse was holding my feet and the doctor was going into my throat and carterizing and I was fighting like crazy because it hurt, I was scared, I didn't know what was going on and I actually lifted the nurse up with my feet and kicked her across the room because I was fighting so hard so she came and sat on my feet and when it was all over with my dad's arms were on the inside of the bed near my head because I was fighting so hard he was having a hard time holding me and um, he was a very strong man but that was very 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 traumatic that's sure that's why I remembered it and then I remember being angry because they were so afraid of disturbing the the carter the burning or whatever, the fixing of my throat. And um, so they wouldn't let me have any ice cream. I couldn't eat anything for a whole day except sip water and eat ice cubes. And I was just a six-year-old that really wanted that ice cream they'd promised me. And then another memory was chasing all the boys in the first grade because I was, well, I guess I should go back and talk about that. At six years old, my pituitary gland stopped working, totally shut down. Before that, I was a normal-sized child, and I got fat overnight. It was, and it was a white, blotchy kind of fat. It wasn't normal. So they took me to the doctor, and they did tests, and they discovered the pituitary gland had shut down. So they started giving me male hormone shots from six years old till 11. And, um, but anyway, I was way, uh, really a lot heavier. And so I could pick on boys really easy because I was so much bigger than any of the boys in first grade. And so they would tease me about being fat and I would chase them and beat them up. And, and uh, I learned some judo tricks and I would flip people over. And I picked on my older sister really bad. I'd flip her around all the time. And so I did remember that. I remember another time, because I was so mean, none of the neighbors liked me, but the two older boys that lived across the street, one was about a year older than me, and then he had a teenage brother, still at six years old. They were across the street, and they were be kind of picking, beating me up, and I was laying, I was on the cement, and the one boy was sitting on top of me, and the other boy was pounding my head on the cement. And uh, my mother comes running out of the house and screaming at him and told him to stop. But I, I remember that. <laughs> it was a very unhappy childhood, basically, because of my overweight and how people treated me. My, my father was a very mild, loving person. He only got mad at me once my whole entire life, and I really deserved it. <laughs> but 
he, I remember, I didn't remember this, but he had told my mother since we had three girls in the family that he was not going to be the disciplinary of girls. That was her job. So she was the disciplinary. So I was never afraid of my father, but I was afraid of my mother because they believed in spanking back then. And in my childhood mind, I thought I was being beaten all the time because I was so naughty, you know, so rambunctious. I thought my mother was spanking me almost every day. But probably that wasn't really the case. It just seemed like that because I was child. But one time I remember her beating me really, really bad. But I also deserved it, but she got carried away. There was a little boy that was I was sort of friends with. My parents were friends with him, and he was, he was a little younger than me. And we were playing, and then another neighborhood came, kid came over, and he called me some names, and, and we had a, a weird gate. And the gate could come off and kind of click your, your toes because it would kind of fall to the ground. And we were playing, and, and he did that several times to me. And I said, the next time you do that, I'm going to go in and get the axe and cut your head off. And he did it, of course. So I go stomping into the garage and grab the axe, and I come out. And my mother and the other little boy's mother were saw me come out of the garage with the axe. And so they were starting to come out to stop me, but it happened really fast. And I swung the axe at the boy I wanted to kill. And he ducked, and it hit the nice little boy, but it, he was farther back, and it just winged his cheek just barely winged his cheek but you know cut it and my mother the mother of the little boy came out grabbed the little boy and ran home and then took him to the doctor and my mother saw me almost kill a kid you know and she started to spank me and spank me and spank me on my butt and pretty soon I stopped I decided this was enough of that so I laid down and she started to kick me and she kicked me so hard she broke her toe but the neighborhood man came out, and he sort of saw what was happening, and he watched for a minute, and then he yelled over and said, you know, I think you've punished her enough, <laughs> and so she stopped. But that was a very traumatic time, too. I remember that vividly, but, but I was such an, you know, I was so unhappy because people were so mean to me that I, I fought back. I never realized that childhood was so difficult for my mom. Maybe it's because I never bothered to ask. I was very intrigued about her identity as a little girl and how she seemed to enjoy the boy things more than the girly things. I wanted to know if she had always identified more with being a boy. They told my mom that she was going to have a boy. The doctor, you know, back then they didn't have ultrasound and anything like that, but they'd listen to the heartbeat. And my heartbeat was very, very strong. And he says, this is usually a boy that has such a strong heartbeat. So they had already had a, a girl and they were hoping that I was a boy, but I came out a girl. And I'm sure they told me that story and that just made me want to be a boy even more. But from the first time I can remember, I always wanted to be a boy. 
Later on in life, my father, we lived on a farm and my father milked cows and I helped him milk the cows and my sisters did the housework with my mother and I was always outside helping dad in the farm. That was my job. I bucked hay, I, I did all that kind of stuff. I was a real tomboy. We, my parents rent, rented a house that was on this farm, and part of the rent was to take care of, it was a dairy farm, take care of the cows and milk the cows and do all that work. And then the farmer in the summer, he would do the hay and things like that. And he was an older gentleman. That's how come he wanted a farmhand. And he, I always thought I was so macho because I could buck hay, but I didn't realize until years later that because he was old and he was doing the work all himself, he, the machine back then could make the hay whatever poundage they wanted. And so he made the poundage like uh, 10 to 15 pounds, which is really light bales of hay, but he, that way he could throw it up on the trailer. Well, so could I at third grade, you know, and so... I thought I was just this macho kid, could, could buck hay and everything. But he would drive the tractor and I'd buck hay. And when I got tired, then I would drive the tractor and he'd buck hay. And we did that for a couple of summers. Um, I was sort of like his farmhand and he'd give me a little bit of money, but I just loved doing it. He asked if I could help him and I, I did. But those were the kind of things that made me feel like a guy. I was going to be a guy someday. And I think one of the reasons why was because they were giving me this hormone and I thought I was going to turn into, a, in my childlike mind, no one explained to me that it was to help me grow taller. I thought it was going to turn me into a boy. And I even remember going to my third grade teacher and saying, I'm going to turn into a boy one of these days. It's just going to be so cool. I'm going to be a boy. And no one explained that to me of what was really happening. But if they wouldn't have done that, I would have stayed the height of a six-year-old and just hugely fat. But I started to grow taller. And the fat subsided, but I always was a little on the heavy side because my pituitary gland and thyroid just didn't work right. And so I moved to Ammon, and one year, my sixth grade was in the Ammon Elementary, and then seventh grade was the middle school. And that's when things started to turn more violent, and I, I changed a lot then. One day in the spring, there was still snow on the ground. We, I walked to school. You know, it's funny. They think, oh, in my olden age, I walked to school. Now you kids are so spoiled. You know, you hear all those kind of stories. But I really did walk two miles to my school every morning unless there was a blizzard. And then the neighbor would take me because my parents were working. They worked really hard. But anyway, one day coming home from school, there was this little boy my same age. He had had rickets when he was young, and he still had rickets, but it made him crippled. And like kids do, they pick on whatever's weakest. They picked on me because I was fat. They picked on him because he was crippled. And they had him down on his hands and knees and were kicking him and calling him names and stuff like that. And I came around the corner and I saw that, and it made me really angry. And so I went up to him and I said, 
that's really disgusting. Just leave him alone. Why are you picking on him? And why don't you go fight with somebody that can fight back? I think you boys are just a bunch of cowards, you know. And um, they said, okay, and they turned on me. And they beat me up. They hit me. They knocked. I wore glasses because I had a lazy eye and I had a patch on my eye. I'm on my good eye so I could see out of my bad eye. And so, you know, being fat and having glasses with a patch on, you know, I'm just a target to be picked on. But also, they knocked those off and stomped on them and broke them. They ripped my dress in many, many places. And then they knocked me down and they threw snowballs and then they'd get the ice balls out of the the gutter and form those and throw them and that those ice balls would cut my legs. And so I had lots of cuts. Uh, I, my nose was bleeding, my one eye was bleeding, where they ripped, you know, hit me and ripped off my glasses. And they, they beat me up pretty good. And so by the time I got home, I walked into the house, and my dad was a truck driver in the morning. He drove a challenge truck. And so he would be taking a nap from like two to four, and then he would go and work at his other job. He worked two jobs. But I got home, and he was just getting ready to go to his other job, and he took a look at me, and he, he just exploded. He said, what happened to you? And I told him, he said, get in the car. We're going to go find these boys. And I think my dad would have killed them if we had found them, but they probably knew they were in trouble. I don't know. Because when we went back to find the boys, and they were the eighth graders. I was a, a seventh grader, but they were eighth graders. And I didn't know their names. So he went to look, and we went up and down all the streets in my neighborhood to try to find them, but they must have all went home and went in their houses. There was nobody on the streets. And so we couldn't find any of them, but he came back and got me cleaned up and took me to work with him. And that was a very traumatic time. But I really changed that day. fighting back wasn't working. I needed to change something, and so I decided to make them laugh at me. And so I started to be funny. I would make jokes and, and be the class clown and make them laugh at what I wanted them to laugh at. And I could never hit anybody after that. And so I did become the class clown. And then it was very easy when I went to high school and took a drama class. And I realized then I could really be a class clown, but not disrupt the teachers in class, but be funny in the hallways. I'd go up and down the hallways and cluck like a chicken. I was in all the plays. Everybody knew who I was. I wasn't popular, but everybody knew me. And I, I thrived in theater. I loved theater. Back, back then, I was wanting to be a movie star. I was going to be a movie star. And there I met an LDS man who I loved. He was my 
one of my drama teachers, and I told him I was going to be a movie star. And he said, oh, good Mormon girls can't be movie stars because you have to, a woman can't be a star unless she sleeps with lots of people. And that's why I always told you kids to go after your dreams. Do what you need because I bought into it. I was so used to people telling me what to do that I gave up on being a movie star. I never went after my dream because some guy says I can't do it because I have to sleep with somebody. You know, it, it, that was sad. But I, I loved my high school years. My high school years were wonderful. I was in theater and I was in thespians. And my senior year, I was the vice president of thespian. At 11 years old, they stopped uh, stopped giving me the hormones because they wanted the periods and everything to start on time. And uh, I was devastated when my period started at 13. But I instantly, after the hormones instantly started to, my breasts started to develop. And that was very, very depressing. I remember when my mother came home with the first bra. She had to wrestle me to make me put my bra on and I'd take it off and she'd wrestle me and that was a real hard time for weeks. It was like on off, on off, on off, on off. But I really, I was very big busted and so I needed a bra very badly. <laughs> so I lost that battle, by the way. No. <laughs> but at 11, I'm still in middle school, 11 and 12, and the boys would tease me horribly. They'd call me cannonballs and porky pig and fatso. But I was so naive, I didn't know what cannonballs referred to for quite a while. And then I, I just, oh, I know what they're saying. On the next episode, I ask my mom to tell me about her journey from adolescence into adulthood. I ask about her first romantic experiences, and I find out how she became a convert to the Mormon religion. What decisions would eventually lead her to attend BYU and marry a man? How would the religion react to her being gay? Find out next time on the story of Sandra Marie.